Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. The Talent Tank back in session. I'm glad you guys uh, tuned in. I'm glad you guys have uh, this podcast up. I'm glad you guys are fans, subscribers, all that, that you left great feedback for me. Uh, but yeah, man, here we go. This week, Bailey Cole. Bailey, gosh, man. Oh my gosh. So Bailey will be the first, uh, you know, father-son duo. This is uh, Dave Cole's son, Bailey. But Bailey's a grown man. He's his own man. That's what we're going to talk about today. Bailey, welcome to the Town Tank. Thank you very much for having me out here today. I appreciate, appreciate it. Well, additionally, Bailey is the driver of the 4454. You you're yes, just, came, you just came off a top five finish at Moab. Yes, we did finish fifth at Moab. It was, it was a pretty hard fought race with everything going into it, but it and, all worked out at the end. And I believe you finished fourth at King of the Hammers this year in 4,400, right? Yes, sir. Immediately behind the drama. Yes, immediately uh, behind it. Immediately behind all the the, the 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 timing drama. Wow, yeah, that was uh that was that was something else. So that would tell me that you're probably sitting pretty good in the national points race. And I didn't look those up. Are you? Yep. Um. Right now, I'm sitting third. I believe, tied for third. Tied for third. Oh, who are you tied with? Raul, I believe. Oh, uh, Gomez. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's hot and contested uh, battle space right there. All right, man. Well, right behind those two Miller guys. Yeah, well, I mean, there's that, that that's yeah, you got to say those pro chassis get it done. Plus, they've got two really good pilots behind the wheel. No, they're they're pretty impressive and pretty fun to race against and constantly being chased down. And that's the that's the IFS versus the solid axle battle, right? 100%. And so you and Raul are really the, the guys in the IFS cars playing second fiddle. Right now, yeah. Yeah. You've had lots of race time in solid axles, and you have grew up in solid axles. So. Yeah. No, um, I actually almost prefer the solid axles in some ways, but right now IFS car seems the faster way to go and in one of them right now. Well, so, yeah, you're, you're certainly growing into it. How many races do you have under your belt in an IFS car now? not a ton just this season so hammers then the next race was crandon and moab yeah and crandon so races we, yeah well crandon's a great segue i'm wouldn't i be glad you brought that up on your own yeah so guys uh i'm gonna have to add the link to uh the show notes or somewhere i don't know how to do it we'll figure it out but it's floating everywhere it, it wasn't floating it was definitely sinking it was definitely sinking well, first and foremost, before I dive into the literally dive into this, I am glad I'm able to sit here and have a conversation with you uh, on the show and talk about this and talk about what this equaled and how this happened. But because it could have gone the other way, you could have you could have drowned. And what we're talking about is uh, Bailey took the 4454 at Crandon, Crandon, Wisconsin. wasn't a, It was a no points race. It was a you know we're going to go race Crandon because Crandon is cool as hell. <laughs> and, and we're going to see how many of us can back it into a corner and, uh, and come out. But Crandon was a night race. Yes, sir. And with night race and they watered the crap out of the track, but there's still some dust. 
there's, you know, lap traffic. I mean, there's traffic on the, on the course. I think there was even, uh, as I saw the video, maybe there was even Crandon track traffic somewhere in there with some lights flashing and you went to pass around a, uh, a track truck that was doing some sort of work and you just stayed wooded and you were off to the left side of the course by how far would you say? 25 feet, 20 feet, wasn't very far, 20 to the left. feet or so. Yeah. And, and so that section was actually a bridge and the Crandon worker was parked right on the apex of the corner. And I didn't quite realize that until the next thing I saw was water and they were going to help out Ironman racing. And, and so the way that went down, you went to pass him, you stayed wooded, you didn't make it, you know, you just stayed matted and, uh, you should have shifted to the right. And next thing you know, you're swim you're like, you're not swimming. You got a wall of water. You were met by a wall of water. How did that, how did that initial slowdown feel? What went through your brain in that initial second before you got wet? So I was going and it was pretty dusty. It was kind of hard to see. And even the video doesn't really give it quite as much justice, but going. And then all of a sudden the dust cleared and all I saw was water. And I was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> and then uh, hit the water. And I thought it was going to be two, three feet. And just, I thought it was going to sink the card, but not sink me. And I hit it and the water came up and around and literally hit me from all three directions, both in the side of the head and forward, just a wall. Well, the, the, the in-car video that you had, which man, amazing, great in-car video of this, it looked like Moses parted the sea, you know, because your hood split the pond in half and you got a split second as your headlights went under, you got this white wall, two white walls of water as they split where the, the hood blocked and threw up a wake. And then it just goes black. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty much my view of the whole thing. Now, was your visor up and you got it in the face or do you have visor down? Nope, visor was up because uh, coming up over that hill, when we went back in the back area, I would flip my visor up just so I could get that little more visibility through the rocks and the tight twisties of the trees. So went visor up there and got a face full of water. So so folks, as you're listening, we were, were five point harnessed into a 5,200, 5,400 pound race car, probably race weight at Cranon was probably around 5,000, maybe a little bit under. You probably didn't. Yeah, we wait. got it nice and light. So yeah. right around five. Yeah. So around 5,000 pounds. So you're five point harnessed into this car, you know, 800 and some horsepower helmet on. You get plunged and dunked in water. Luckily you're still up. You didn't roll and you're not upside down. Yep. Window nets and steering wheel and it's pitch black outside. It's dark. and how did your mind process those next steps of crap? I need to get out of this car. And how do I get out without freaking out? So the way that I thought about it, even when it happened was just, this is an unfortunate situation, but I've trained for this. I I've gotten out of the car blindfolded before and done time tests and make sure I could do it. Just most of the time I thought it'd be because of fire, but this time was water. And just kept myself calm and said, there's no point in getting frazzled right now. It's just going to make the situation worse. So when unbuckled the seatbelt and I kind of jiggled them loose just because you know how sometimes they get stuck if you just yank. So got them all broken loose, got all five harnesses off of me. And then I remember going, trying to go through the windshield just to get out faster. 
except uh, we had rock guards because it was the short course race. So we did the Crendon rock guards. So I, Oh, even worse. Uh-huh, bonked my head off the rock guard. I was like, well, not going out through there, sat back in the seat and then undid the window net and then swam up to the surface. And what was visibility? Was there some visibility or were you pitch blacked? Under the water, pitch black. Oh God. That's like worst nightmare stuff right there. It, it was a little sketchy. What would you take now? Would you take that scenario or same scenario above water daytime, but on fire? I think I'd be on fire. That says a lot. Wow. Wow, man. It could have, it so could have gone the the other way. So glad you're here. One little funny story that didn't talk about earlier, but there was a time that I was pre-running the Baja 500 with JT and my dad and a four seat razor. And it was the year that it was 130 degrees down on Diablo. The one that crazy yeah, heat like that. waves. Uh-huh. And, uh, we didn't have enough fuel in the four seat razor to make our section pre-running. So we put two five gallon cans in the back of the UTV. And when we left Ensenada, it was 65 degrees. And then as we got moving, it heated up and heated up and about, and they swell an up. Hour. They swell up yeah. too. Yeah. Uh-huh. So about an hour and a half into our pre-run, my dad smelled some fuel. I was like, okay. And him and JT asked me to turn around and look, look back what was there. And I look around and coming over my shoulder and I'm in the backseat of the razor. So coming over my shoulder and engulfing me at this point is a wall of flame, probably six to seven feet high. (laughs) How did you go? You skid out of that. So my reaction was, Hey guys, we're on fire. And they, that was a little bit of a panic for a second and unbuckle and get out. And it was actually a very cold flame because it was the vapors. And my dad reached in, grabbed the fuel and threw it out of the back of the car. I, I mean, if you're going to, I guess, be on fire with people, then, uh, yeah, your dad and JT Taylor would be two people. I'd be cool with having that problem with. They were pretty good people to be around for that. And I was in the back seat, still doing low altitude airdrops with the water bottles in the back seat, And JT was throwing sand on it. And we actually finished that pre-run that day. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, man, what a, st- what a, I mean, well, those are two just completely mind boggling uh, stories that you actually uh, have been on fire at one point, but the, the drowning me, I think the drowning is the worst. I, I, I don't know, man. I, it, I think going into water is one thing, but going into water in the dark, man, I think I, I, I don't know, man. I, I think you're, we're all blessed that, uh, that you swim out of there, you know, cause a, an ultra four car, a race car is. I mean, it's kind of a maze trying to get out uh, (laughs) to begin with. They're not always the easiest things to get out of. Get the steering wheel off. That is funny that you got the the rock guard, uh, you know, know, having that on. Wow. That, yeah, that, that'd be a problem. Could, can you fit through the windshield of your car with the rock? If you hadn't had the rock guard? I believe so. I know the old car I could, and I believe the new car is pretty similar. It didn't test getting out the windshield though. So i might've been a good thing. The rock guard was there and I just sat back and got out the window. Yeah. You'll have to try it out and let us know how, how that worked out and be like, yep, no, I would have got stuck and then I would have drowned. 
Oh man. Well, Hey, well, so here we go. We've got Bailey Cole on. We just went through two kind of crazy life changing stories. there. like, lucky to still be alive. Luckily be still on this side of uh, the dirt growing up, man, growing up a couple things. One, you're from New Jersey, born in Jersey. Yep. And if anyone listened to your, your father's episode, uh, at some point he moved you guys to Southern California, you moved to Temecula or at least multi, uh, ended up in Temecula, but you, uh, you know, going to high school all the way through high school at Temecula, right? No. So, uh, when we moved out there, we actually moved to big bear up in the mountains in California and then moved to Ontario. And I went to school in like Rancho Cucamonga area all through school. See, I don't know that part of the world at all. I know where Menifee is because I've been to Wayne's and I've been to Jeff Knowles. Yeah. So probably like an hour north of there. Okay. Hour and a half north. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. Well, I mean, I've flown into Ontario. Yeah. Th- that counts, yeah, right? right there. That totally so that counts. was 10 minutes away from my house. How far, how far are you from Cartech? Probably half an hour. Okay. Hey, that's a great place to be. I'm, I'm, I'm only like 24 hours from them. So. <laughs> but nice short little hustle but to, to today you uh you reside in flagstaff arizona i do which beautiful weather beautiful country and you're going to college there right yep actually one of the reasons i came up here was because i missed like the mountains and woods of big bear and just kind of that environment so that's one of the reasons i chose to come up to flag and going to school up at northern arizona university nice well, that, that is certainly something we're going to talk about here in a little bit. You lived with a uh, growing up, you grew up with uh, your stepmom, Luan. And, yep. Yep. And I, I know her through your dad, but uh, we went sailing together. We shared, they were on, uh, we shared a, a catamaran in the, uh, oh, where did we sail? The, the windward islands. I think that was the trip we were on. It was great, man. Your, uh, your dad and your stepmom swimming machines. I mean, I can't, it, they put on flippers and would just be gone, like snorkeling everywhere. Everywhere we stopped in the water, just totally, it was a good time with them. I really like them. Both of them, by the way. We used to go down to Mexico all the time, like Acapulco. And yeah, I could definitely see that. Right. And then you, you have, you actually have uh, two younger siblings. You're the oldest. Yep. Allison and Patrick. How much older are you than them? I'm eight or nine. I think nine years older than my little sister, Allison, and 11 years older than Patrick. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, man. And, and so you're right. Where are you 21 yet? 23 now. 23. God, I'm way off time. When you get as old as me, Bailey t- time, just uh, you, you tell it in like decades. Like, I mean, I look at you and I knew you were young and I, I, yeah, I don't ask you for your birthday. I really should. I should be like, okay, give me a copy of your driver's license. Honestly, there are times where I can't even remember my birthday. So <laughs> that's fair. Fair enough. Feel like I go, God, man, why it's a jackass. <laughs> So, okay, you're in college, but I, I, actually, I always kind of like to ask this question. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Man, honestly, I've always kind of wanted to do something in the off-road industry. I never really knew what that would be, just something in the industry. And now you're a you know top-tier Ultra 4 off-road driver. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'd- it's pretty awesome. It's, I definitely do not complain at all. I feel like one of the luckiest people in the world. And balancing that with school is got to be just one of the hardest things to do, right? It can be challenging at points, um, balancing, being able to go out to all the races and all the testing and all the time that that takes to put in and then telling the teachers, 
I'm going to be gone and I would really like to do the work ahead of time. But like for hammers, I had to talk to a couple teachers and was like, I'm going to be gone. And I really hope that we can work something out. But at this point, I have to go no matter what. Yeah, so right. Balancing all of that. So, yeah, growing, growing up as a kid, did you play any sports? Were you in any sports like that? What were your interests as a kid? I know you guys wheeled all the time. So my mom lived down in Ontario. My dad still lived up in Big Bear and the weekdays was down going to school down there and weekends. I was up with my dad and it was a lot of soccer, baseball, did some field hockey, kind of bounced around a whole bunch of different sports. My dad actually coached a lot of the teams. Well, because I know that's big for him and your him and your uncle. Like they are sports guys. Like so, one hundred percent. And I enjoyed the team parts and enjoyed playing the sports, but I was never really super good at any of them. You required a motor. Yes. Yeah. The motor definitely helps. So I heard this. I actually heard this recently on a on an interview with uh, Travis Pastrana. And that's exactly what Pastrana said. Pastrana said, as a kid, he he was okay. His parents made him play sports, and it, it, but it wasn't until he discovered a dirt bike and what he was capable of with motor assist that he be, began to really feel like himself. And he, so he enjoyed sports, but he didn't love them. It wasn't until again motor assist. He's like, okay, now I now I'm who I'm supposed to be. The funny thing about that, even when I started with the motorsports, I was really nervous to do it and really didn't feel like I was that good. And just after enough practice, got there. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, practice makes perfect, right? And there's some some good stories there as we get into your early years of of off-roading. Do you have any interest outside of off-road right now? Right now, with COVID, it's been pretty hard to do anything. But I... uh, (laughs) Yeah, we have a couple hikes up in Flagstaff that are pretty nice, um, and I enjoy rock climbing a lot. But everything's been kind of closed to do that. So, so you're living in Flagstaff. You're going to going to college. You're not married. You don't have kids, but you do have a very serious girlfriend who is a huge integral part of your program. It she is. Yep, uh, Mackenzie. She does a ton around here. Um, she recently has helped me write emails to a lot of my sponsors and help me take care of that way. I uh, do a lot of the base writing and then she makes me sound more professional and eloquent. She which polishes is, it. Yeah. She polishes it. Yeah. I get all the ideas down and she's like, no to this idea. Yes to hear. And it kind of helps me along the lines there. You are so blessed by that. I mean, I've, I've now talked to Mackenzie on the phone with you. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we're on Facebook together and, uh, and actually she just came out the door behind you. She's walking by you. Hi, Mackenzie. Wyatt says, hi. Hi, Wyatt. <laughs> there we, uh, we go. Everybody just heard that. We right. live in 400 square feet. So it's, uh, this is the office right now and also the kitchen and bedroom. Yeah, there you go. Well, that, for one, that's college living Two, that's, you know, young adulthood right there. And man, I think part of me is envious of that life because there's so much less responsibility and it's, yeah. you do what you do, you know, but yeah. So, so Mackenzie, she, she makes it to all your races. She's at the hammers. She I, actually hasn't missed a race yet but since we started dating. I heard that's probably going to happen though at nationals though. She's going to miss, miss Oklahoma here in a few weeks. Right. 
So she actually talked to her professors and got out of clinicals for a week and is making it happen to come out. Yay. All right. Tell her Mackenzie, when you hear this, okay, you got to find me. We're going to meet. I, I I'm excited about that. Cause any woman that sticks with any of us for enough years and they, they get into the off-road and what goes on and the characters and truly this family, they're special people, right? They're cut from like this, like saints cloth. 100%. Yep. So how did you guys meet? actually met in the math lab up here at school up at nau okay i was in there doing my class and she was in doing statistics and i could actually tell she was struggling a little bit and i walked over and said i could help and i'm awful at statistics but it got me her number and then we started talking and one thing led to another and it all worked out (laughs) (laughs) and y'all have been together about two years right yep actually next month two years was she kind of already outdoorsy and into off-road stuff or or was that an easy conversion or has this been a difficult conversion? So she grew up a desert rat like me. Oh, nice. No wonder you guys have so much in common. uh Her dad uh, races in a class five unlimited car. So grew up out and she rode dirt bikes as a kid, quads as a kid, just ground the desert. So is she a better driver than you? I mean, probably is I'll tell you in my household, my wife, she doesn't listen to this. So she won't hear it to, to brag. She stopped listening. I think 30 episodes ago, my wife is a better driver in forward. If she's in drive, she's faster, better, cleaner, I think. But if you have to do anything else outside of that, if she has to stop and back up, we're all screwed. Like then the world's over. Oh yeah. 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 We're wrecking. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Reverse does not happen, but Ford. Yeah, man. As fast as, as fast as she goes. Now is McKenzie uh, a, a, a Toyota girl? Well, she has a Corolla. That's that, kind that of count. count. No, not really, <laughs> but I mean, probably not doing hot laps of chocolate thunder in the Corolla, but <laughs> yet, yet, yet. <laughs> just a couple modifications and it'll work out. Nice. So, man, that is awesome that one. She just said she could probably do it. I just couldn't. I'm going to back her up on that. I'm, I would not, that I'm not a dissenting opinion of, of that. I have no doubt. If a woman says she's going to do it, <laughs> damn it, she's going to do it. I'm, I'm yeah. with her. In February, Mackenzie, we got a day, uh, 30 pack, and we'll cheer you on. I bet we can even get Miles down there to announce it and you just bang it off the rev limiter. Okay. <laughs> Oh man. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, so there you are Northern Arizona and you're studying business marketing. How much do you have left? Two semesters left. So just a little bit less than a year. So you're about to have to do some adulting. Yes. Here coming pretty soon. Do you have some ideas where you want to go with that? Do you think, I I mean, I can personally see you staying in the off-road world, but do you have some ideas or avenues or venues where you think you fit in? I don't have anything set up yet, but I definitely like to stay in the off-road world. What about heir to the throne? And I don't mean the scepter. I mean, uh, that's definitely been talked about a lot and definitely in the cards. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is your dad grooming you a little? He always has. He's been grooming you since day one. I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ryan came in recently. Yeah. And Ryan Thomas kind of. Yep. Ryan Thomas is coming in for that at the time being, but in the future, I think all doors are open. Yeah, I, I can 
completely believe that, you know, all options are on the table. Plus there's some pretty awesome companies out there that would love to have, uh, you know, somebody with, you know, at this point you're 23 years old and you've got 20 years of off-road experience and you've got, oh God, you know, t- almost 10 years of racing experience. So uh, that's, uh, that's hard to get that to be your age representing your demographic of age group and to have that kind of knowledge. Cause I think at some point, and I'm going to get totally off on a tangent here. I think at this point where we're going with racing and land use and open access, all those things are going to fall on your generation. I mean, they're going to fall on uh, you to be an advocate. And I'm not saying specifically you, but just, you know, 20 year olds to carry that torch as, as guys, you know, get old and, and move on or pass away or whatever that equals this, uh, this gap. I think it feels like there's this gap between, I don't know, 40 and 30 year old now 50 and 30 year olds that really were never involved. It's like the old guys carrying the torch. And then we missed it. My generation missed it. We really, there's a few of us out there is, and not me. I'm not in, in, in that, you know, I live in Texas. We have, we have no public land. So I, it's like, I, I'm by proxy cheering for what's going on out there. I'm cheering for keeping stuff open, but a lot of that stuff's going to fall on you guys to be the, the, the spokesperson and spokespeople. And I'm excited to see how you do it. I mean, I have full faith in you. I think a lot of people do. So eh, anyway, I digress. No, I remember even as a kid going to the FOJV meetings and writing letters with my dad and yeah, trying to keep all the land open. And I think that is so important. As you start to write your resume, which I'm sure you've had to do for class, I'm sure you have it. I mean, I know you don't have like a current day job aside from, you know, you race and you go to class. Those, I mean, going to class is a full-time job, but also what you do around ultra foreign to operate on the level you're on. And you, no one can downplay that. No one can downplay the hours it takes to be on and on and on and on and to promote yourself and promote the sport and promote the races and, and get your car and the logistics and the scheduling. That's more than a full-time job. Uh, it's become a lot of work, but 100% worth it. Oh f- yeah. Fully agree. I wish I could do it today. Right. goes back to me feeling like one of the luckiest people in this world. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I think you're in a good spot. You have worked your ass off to earn that spot. And clearly it's not a matter of just, Hey, yeah, my dad owns the series, so of course I'm going to race it. No, if that were the case, you wouldn't have finished fourth at KOH this year. That's an earned spot. That's You stood on your own two feet, and you eked it out and grinded it out for eight hours, and you earned each each position. You earned each and every position that you passed and got to where you were at that finish line. You overcame so much adversity, and that's, you know, Moab, same way, you know, wrecking it. You know, I'm not going to even bring that up, but, uh, but you earned every drop of water that came in your helmet, right? That was oh, on yeah. you. That's kind of where I stand on that. It's, uh, there, there's a point and I ended up kind of there in my professional career. My dad opened the first door for me in Houston. You know, I'm from Kansas. I'm from the same hometown as, as miles miles. You know, I actually had uh, beers at miles house on Saturday night in Paola, Kansas with a bunch of our, our friends up there. So I'm from a small town in Kansas, but my father moved to Houston in uh, the late, late nineties. And then I followed him in the early two thousands and he got me a job here in Houston at an energy company. He, he got the door open for me, 
but I walk through and today I stand, you know, on my own two feet in that world. That's how I look at you. I look at you as you, this, you're the prodigy of your father, your father opened the door, but you've been the one who's standing on your own accord, right? Yeah. I feel like I'm starting to get to that point where I'm stepping out on my own two feet and it it's nice, but I definitely appreciate everything that my dad's done to get me here. Absolutely. You know, and that's the, that's the great thing about fathers and sons and fathers and daughters and mothers and sons and mothers. We want to tilt the playing field as far in favor of our children as possible. That's, that's your legacy, right? That is your legacy. And I don't fault your dad one iota for how much he's tilted the, the playing field in your favor. But even that said, he can't, there's nothing he can do between the green flag and the checker flag. I get less information than all the other racers for sure. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Abso- well, <laughs> you need to go to JT. JT has information. JT would just <laughs> kick me. <laughs> yes, he would. <laughs> oh man. So let, let's jump back to, uh, so yeah, you growing up in wheeling and like getting into it and being immersed because you've been immersed in this, uh, I, I want to call it an industry, but it's really not at the level that we're talking about. It's not an industry. It's a recreational lifestyle. So you've been immersed in the lifestyle your entire life. You know, you growing up wheeling with your dad and, and, and Dave had this, uh, you know, beat up forerunner and y'all would sleep in the back of it. You go up there on the yep. weekends to Big Bear, and then y'all would vanish out to the Hammers or Johnson Valley or anywhere around Big Bear and find. Tell us about those. Tell us about all that time and what you went through in that era as you kind of learned what it meant to be outside. We used to wheel up in Big Bear a lot, and uh, I remember pretty much every weekend, Saturday, we would leave our house, and it was probably a mile or two from the trails. And we just go out to the trails and we'd wheel from three in the afternoon to about three in the morning. And I would be asleep for most of that, probably. Fair enough. And I would wake up right about the time we'd be pulling into the Denny's parking lot because that was one of the few things still open. So wake up after wheeling to Denny's. We'd eat some Denny's and then go home and go back to school for that week and then do it all again the next weekend. Would your dad let you drive or at what age did you start driving off-road? So definitely back in the forerunner, he'd put me on his lap and cruise around. I don't remember doing many trails or anything like that. The first real experience I remember driving was in his pro mod car. And I remember him putting it in first gear and putting me on lower big Johnson and just having me go and cruise and just low, low. I mean, could you touch the pedals? Definitely not. No. And I don't even think I knew where like the kill switch was. So we're just cruising along (laughs) at half a mile an hour. And they knew you weren't going to get hurt. And that was wheeling with a, you guys were out just wheeling with the other 10 benders. Yeah. Then it was the 10 benders. That was after we found the hammers and, we're going out there every weekend instead of deep Creek and Holcomb and those trails. Now, were you guys the first father son? I think your dad confirmed this, but I forget confirm the first father son duo. That's 10 benders together. Or was that Rob park and crusty? Were they the first benders? As they would a, be the first, they would be the first. Yeah. And then you guys would be like the second. Yep. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's two generations of benders. Yeah. No, growing up out there, we would get to the lake bed, 
my dad would unload the truck and then go and take off. And I'd be playing with my matchbox cars or hot wheels on the lake bed, waiting for him to come back. And all the vendor wives, all everybody out there would always be like, come over, come eat some sandwiches and hang out. And then eventually my dad would either be come back towing somebody or come back being towed and again, do it all the next weekend. And rinse, repeat. So at what point did you get your own ride? Because I've, I've I'd seen you in a samurai out at the hammers before. And this is, you know, of course, everyone knew that at some point you would be you would be wheeling. I mean, you would be racing with the belief was, uh, but you would wheel around Hammertown. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know you were in the samurai wheeling around the lake bed in Johnson Valley all year long. But you know, the rest of us, we would only see you there that first week in February. And we knew, Oh, there goes Bailey. I believe that was my 10th birthday where I got the samurai and yeah. Wheeled around the desert all around in that. Cause when were you, when were you born? You were born like 99 or 2000, uh, 97, 97. I should be able to do yeah. math. That's crazy. Um, cause it's 2020 minus 23. Okay. 1997. Again, this is me. This is why this is how I roll. Just terrible, terrible at math. I'm not terrible at math. I just hadn't thought, thought it through. So yeah. So probably, yeah, 2007, 2008, you end up with this, uh, this little samurai cruise around that thing went everywhere. Now I'd heard us, I'd heard a story about the samurai where y'all ran it out of gas or y'all wrecked it like all the way on the other side of the lake bed. And like you hit it and you came back and what was the color around that? Throw in some facts. So that one was at the edge of the lake bed, you know, where all the really big bushes are right at the edge of the lake bed, kind of over by Randy's turn track over at the edge of the lake bed. So I was just kind of tooling around over there, going over the bushes and stuff. And I came over one and bellied out on top of a bush and I couldn't get it unstuck. So I took the keys and walked back to camp. Then got some help from somebody over there and got it towed back off. But yeah, definitely got it stuck once or twice out there. Uh, h- hilarious. And then what was the story you told your dad about it? I don't think I told him about that one. <laughs> and same with the, I jumped the samurai once and definitely went a little too big. And I, I tried to not tell him about that one either. And then about two weeks after that happened, it got posted up on, pirate as a samurai trophy truck oh wow yeah for sure Uh well hey yeah there's a great segue right there and i love love jumping into this but jumping cars at the hammers at a young age your dad had this pretty sweet ifs car built by kirby early on you guys were testing kind of out there where if you're coming into hammertown it would be roughly where you uh pay the gate fee right and you and ridgeway I believe Chris Ridgeway was driving, and then at one point you guys switch places, and you're going down into the wash and jumping out of the wash and carrying some distance. So that isn't what happened with Ridgeway. Where I jumped the samurai was that same jump. Okay. And I believe we jumped over Randy's hood or JR's hood, somebody's back then hood, and Ridgeway was driving. But then that same weekend, over so you go up and over a hill over towards outer limits okay oh, towards the here. military base where the big whoops are yeah. down the back side of the hill that's a portion of mdr course right there right i believe so yeah yep. my dad was testing the car over there and it was actually the same weekend i got the samurai so 
he was out testing and then he said I could drive it once and I got in and went Ridgeway was my passenger and going down the hill and just kind of cruised and turned around and came back and my dad said okay go faster now and turned around and went down and then when I turned around Ridgeway reached over grabbed the bottom of the steering wheel and said mad it I matted it and we did this flying pass where we were probably doing 55, 60 up that hill with Ridgeway in the passenger seat steering and me just holding the gas. And yeah, and if you when look, my dad heard that story, he also wasn't impressed with us for that one either. And you look out at everyone watching and just jaws on the ground, like <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah. Oh, and, oh. and I mean, that was a, that was a fun car. Whatever happened to that? It went to Arkansas at one point, and then was it Stevens? Yeah. What was his first name? Uh, J.T. Stevens, right? J.T. Stevens, yeah, yeah. And then uh, he took it to Arkansas, and then it faded he away. Raced it for a while. He put some big trophy truck motor in it, and I think he actually did pretty decent in it for a while, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, oh yeah. I know he raced for a couple of years, and then I think the chassis just was getting tweaked over time. I mean, by that time, it was a eight or nine year old car. And I think it ended up in the off-road hall of fame wow. or okay. something like that. I know it ended up somewhere. Oh, nice. Yeah. I remember when Ridgeway caught that thing on fire at Vegas Torino and tried, tried to burn his back up and all that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Freaking Ridgeway. Awesome. It didn't even get the car to your dad. I'm sure your dad was, uh, I know your dad was wound up about that. I mean, cars can be replaced. Ridgeways can't, but at the same time, it always sucks when the car didn't get to you. Yep. No, they actually, my dad had some good success in that car too. That, that was a fun car. Yeah, it was a fast car. Absolutely was, man. So, uh, we rock, you also grew up kind of around the, we rock com- competition circuit. You had Wayne Israelson, you had your dad, you had a lot of guys in that area, uh, that were hitting the, hitting, we rock, uh, the crawling world and very successful, very competitive. You grew up walking around those pits and walking around those courses, I walked how many, how many miles of course do you think you walked uh <laughs> all of it yeah pretty much anywhere my dad walked throughout all those events i walked to and it was it was a blast it was a great learning opportunity yeah all, all over the country man uh yeah that was when in the endurance off-road had really the endurance rock sports they they were not even in the infancy. It was just, you know, crawling is for babies, right? You know, it was, everybody was, you know, how, how low could you go, you know, front digs, rear digs, you know, cutting breaks, you know, everything that Jesse Haynes still has going on in his head on a daily basis was they pretty awesome cars. Oh yeah. That was just the, that was the day in day out life back then, you know, that late 99, 2000, then up until, up until 2008, you know, 2007, obviously the first King hammers year, but it really kind of didn't take off till 08. And then it really took off in 09. But so there's about that decade there where crawling was the evolution. I mean, and, uh, the advancements that were made in, in rock sports were just in axle tech and steering tech and U joint tech. And everybody was pushing the limits of everything. But y'all are, st- but that said, y'all are still push- pushing the limits today. It's just much more expensive limits. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what was the first KOH that you attended? So I missed the first year, the OG 13, but I went the year after that. Okay. So you were there in 08. 
Yep. And then what was your first year to compete? I They blend together, huh? 13, 14, somewhere in there? I think it was 13 or 14, yeah. Yeah. Now, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to flash back a little bit since we're kind of talking in this era, this era in this genre. You and Cody Knoll, there was, there, there's some contention here in story of how the story actually went. I've heard from, and Cody's memory is not that great. And, I, and, and, your da, and, and it's not even that Cody's, not, Cody's memory isn't that great. Your dad said it never happened. But that said, were you involved in this booby trap story from back in that era, 08, 09, 10, digging a booby trap off the start line? So, yes and no. I'm, I was there. Okay. But. So we started digging the hole and I was no help back then. Cause I was nine or so. I think there was only two shovels and I don't remember if I was purposely filling in the hole or just, I was that little help, but they kicked me out of there pretty quick. I don't even think they were finished digging the first little trench across the trail when I was kicked out of there. Hilarious. So I, I was there, but not there all at the same time. And that's kind of what Cody said. Cody said, I think you were just kind of along for the ride so i was like ah guilty through association and he's like yeah basically somewhere in there not even fully not even fully so yeah man so your first year racing though let's flash to that so rough 2013 2014 i think it was 2013 based on what i i looked up but i mean our ability to keep good records in history in ultra four is actually it, it it's very contingent on having a good website <laughs> And, and, you know, with ultra four, there's been iterations. So, uh, but before certain years, it's kind of hard to find information. So you have to go off almost context clues off of social media. So that said, that's why some of my information isn't always right. So I'm going with 2013, you raced in stock class and you raced like yes, a, like a mid eighties forerunner. Yep. Uh, 86 forerunner. And you finished. No, no, not that year. <laughs> um, the first year we, uh, it was an 86 forerunner and big Rob, who's a tin bender. Okay. He rode with me that first race and we were having issues breaking the torsion keys and gotcha. We actually didn't, I don't believe we broke one in the main race, but we were taking it really easy, got into aftershock and lost steering. And I remember walking up to the pits right. And then taking forever to find the pits and then walking back that first race. And we just timed out. But is okay. So you didn't finish that race, but that year you did do well in the national points in stock class. So your, your rookie season, you did pretty well. Like I want to say third, I believe we did get third that year in points. That's pretty, that's something else to be, you know, barely legal to drive. I mean, a little, little past that and to go out and put down a, uh, your rookie season, end up like third in the national point series in a nationally accredited syndicated race circuit. That's, that's a feat, man. I, I it that's was a freaking kudos way back then. It was a big learning curve. I remember the first time we went out to hammers, I was, I was still not great with the clutch. The point that I was stalling out the truck on the trailer, pulling it off. And I was like, this is going to go sideways <laughs> i don't think i'm ready for this but trial by fire we went out there and just kept on move, moving kept on swimming and it all worked out and great learning experience right I was able to just keep going in what point did uh did tom dorfmeister start co-driving for you because he's your current co-driver so he rode with me the hammers after that 
And that was the year we did finish, but after time in the forerunner. And then he didn't ride with me after that for a little bit and got back in the car with me eventually this, later in the story. But when we got in the Trent Fab cars. Gotcha. Okay. It, and this is, yeah. After, so after spec cars, and we'll go into that here in a little yep. bit. But, so after spec cars, he ended up coming back into the fold. I, I, I was curious. Um, I, I'd heard a funny story about you that, uh, in, in confirm, confirm or deny or tell him I'm crazy, but uh, that you have a tendency to fall asleep in the start line. That has happened once or twice. There's been a couple times where uh, Rusty, who lines us all up, has to come over and flick the side of my head on the start line once or twice. Yeah. Now, is it? <laughs> that's funny. It's confirmed true. Uh, but is that because you're that calm, or is it because you're just not getting enough sleep the night before and you're partying until the wee hours of the morning? Definitely not the partying. It's just. It's actually funny once. Uh, I feel like once I get strapped into the race car, everything just kind of goes away and almost like a woo-saw feeling and everything just gets relaxed. And I, I fall asleep a couple times on the start line because of it. You find your center. Yep. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm the polar freaking opposite of that. I get in and I, you could pretty much say that I didn't need any coffee that morning. And if I'd had it, they'd be like, you had, you drink a whole jug of it, you know, like I'm, fully amped up and just buzzing and itching and scratching and rechecking and checking and like playing with knobs and, and rechecking the window net and playing with the steering wheel, making sure it's connected and then rechecking it because, because I messed with it once. Now I probably disconnected it. Oh man, (laughs) total wreck. I don't think I get butterflies though. I don't get nervous. It's just a matter of making sure everything's right. (laughs) <laughs> what's the thing that you forgot <laughs> no that's exactly it it's exactly what got forgotten and will it bite us yeah and then right about then you're like oh now i gotta go to the bathroom yeah i yeah i do check the steering wheel because i have had that pop off before and that that's never a fun experience i have experienced that as well on a <laughs> barstow main yeah yeah cruising that does not seem like a fun place for that to be experienced it, it it certainly was not luckily i didn't think anyone saw it i got the steering wheel back on got the car back under control and then i don't know maybe a half hour later some guys like way down by one end who'd seen it happen actually came down we were with we were out there with wayne and they uh they came by and like, man, when you went by us and we saw that you had your steering wheel in the hand we we're like oh man that guy's out of control he's crazy and then <laughs> Wayne and everyone else who were standing there looked at me and I was like, yeah, the stream will came off. <laughs> I mean, I thought I was <laughs> totally going to play that off. Like cool. Like it never happened. No, I fully got busted clown. Yeah. You, you let that happen once and you never let it happen again. I think is the way that works. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not something you want to repeat. Mine was, I hit a G out in the spec car and going to correct and the steering wheel popped off and it's like well that's not a good time and hit a bush or two and it settled back down and put it back in the steering wheel and made sure it was fully connected and kept on driving and away you go so man i'm gonna roll through a list here this is kind of a litany and it's gonna be kind of almost rapid fire because uh you have a very you know for such a young guy you've been racing a lot of years in ultra four and you have a very decorated list, but I'm going to roll through these really quick. And, and then you have to tell me what year we, you kind of moved into the Trent fab cars and we'll talk about their involvement. But so 2014, uh, you raced stock and you raced spec class, but you also raced Europe that year, 
which is how cool is that? You race like Portugal, Wales. I mean, that first year I just raced Portugal and Wales, and that was a really amazing experience. That was uh, in Axel Berman's old Bruiser chassis. Okay. So, yeah, and that was that was really cool. I mean, to be able to go there. Talking to Chris Bowler, you know, he's you know lives in Wales now, and kind of that stuff there. I mean, their racing over there is, especially even back then, was one thing. But now today, Europe racing is really kind of taken off. Like I. I never really paid it a lot of attention until here the last probably 24 months or so. And there is a lot of racers over there building some really nice cars. There's some really, really cool stuff over there. It kind of seemed like back then the technology was a year or two behind where we were out here and they've just been catching up and catching up. And now it's the point that I think the technology is all the same. They just need to fly Wayne over and, Oh, right. (laughs) Last little touches. Get the way. You know, Chris Butler's building a new car for, for Levi Shirley. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's pretty exciting to have, you know, that you're you're having a a, a Brit, you know, uh, building a car for a U.S. guy. That seems like the reverse flow, but you know, I'm sure. He makes some pretty great cars though. The, the Eurofighters are top notch. Oh yeah. Off-road armory. Off-road armory. Yeah. Off-road armory. Being in Houston, I'm in a port city and, you know, knowing Levi basically, you know, for gosh, you know, 13 or 14 years now, they had, they had shipped a car over for KOH one year. I know I've said this on the talent tank at some point way a long time ago, but yeah, I actually went down to the port and picked up uh, one of Butler's cars and stored it at my shop for a little bit until Levi could get down here. So yeah, I've not only have I driven, I have, I've driven one, I've driven one, not raced one, driven one, and I've had it in my shop and had the chance to climb all over it and kind of look at it and uh, I put now people that don't know, well, they can look at them like the, the, the brothers, the Gomez brothers cars, which are the UFO cars built by Joe Thompson and how mm-hmm. technologically advanced and, and Joe solves everything different ways than everyone else. Almost like he built the car, which is funny. The name of him, you know, his UFO fab, right out of this world or something, you know, built on, on of another world. That's kind of what I think about him. He doesn't build them in this world. And that's how I view Butler stuff. Butler creates kind of in a vacuum and he does it his way. And it's a different way to skin a cat. And it's really, really cool. And it works and his stuff really works. So I can see why, you know, Levi is stepping out, trying to make a change. You know, we've seen, you know, the Campbell cars all work a certain way. The UFO cars now work a certain way. So Levi's looking for a competitive advantage. Let's go let's go get something that's built completely out in left field, or in this case, way out East all the way across the <laughs> pond. But yeah, Butler's building some stuff. It's some crazy cool stuff. And, and I think that's really awesome. What's coming out of Europe. And that was cool that you, you that you've raced and you've raced over there a bunch now since, but that first yep. year, 2014, then 2015 was your first full year in spec cars. And all those spec cars at that point, they were all built by uh, they were all built by Randy Rod, Jimmy's four by four, right? At that point. Yep. So at that point, there were six of them, I believe, and they were all owned by my dad and was getting prepped by him. And just everybody was on an even playing field. And there were some cool names in there, too, like Ricky Johnson. Yeah, Ricky Johnson. Johnson. Was Rob, did Rob Mack ever drive a spec car? I don't think so. Uh, Bradshaw did, though. Okay. Uh, Damon Bradshaw. 
Jesse Combs. Jesse Combs. Yeah, she she's probably the the, the most n- notable uh, spec car. You know, she won a lot in that spec car, or fin- uh-huh. and finished a lot. I remember 2014 was my first race in it, and it was Tuella. And I remember getting around her, and that was like the highlight of the event. I was like, I just passed Jesse. <laughs> yeah, and, right. and she's a, <laughs> she's such a fierce competitor too. So you oh know, man, she was. I think the next corner she came in and undercut me, and we we did a couple really good battles. It was it was a lot of fun. That's a fun memory to have. Then it, by 2016, you moved up to Legends Cars and, and racing 4800, and you were in 4800 for a while. I mean, you have a, a second place national title, you have a first place national title. When you started racing the 4800, is that when you guys got involved with? Uh, you started racing tra- Fab Cars. So 16, we just took the spec car I raced the year before, and we put a 64 Hemi in it, and raced it in Legends. So. Yeah, that was the year me and Rick Waterbury were battling for the championship. And uh, he ended up pulling it out in front of me for that year. And yeah, that was a lot of good battles. And then 2017, you guys went then went to Trent Fab, right? And then how was, because I love this guy. I love telling stories about him or hearing stories about him too. Working with DSI. Uh, I DSI is always a fun person to work with. He is difficult sometimes but always in the best possible way if that makes sense yeah no it it does he is and i've called him this so he's not gonna be like oh yeah white just made that no i've called him i'm like dude you're a walking talking off-road encyclopedia Uh, he is truly one of the most knowledgeable people like just walking around and it's like what should this bolt be tech to uh here and where did this come from uh over here and like just Literally, if you need to know something, he knows the answer to it. And pulling part numbers just out of his ass. You're like, how do you yeah. know what that is? Well, I had it on a car. Uh, it was an S&M fab car. We built it in 2006, and that was the water pump that we used to fit around this tube. And that was a 163724, whatever. And that's what you need for this car. I'm like, again, how do you know that? Like, uh-huh. why, why do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. He's actually somebody I, I, sh- I need to get on here. Cause I have a good rapport with him. I think at one point, I think he didn't think I liked him, but it's probably cause I cussed him, but it wasn't like I cussed him because I hated him. I cussed him because he was right. Most of the time. Yeah. Which is kind of, kind of how it works, man. Then finally 2018, you moved up to 4,400 in 2018, right? You did, yep. you did, did so, a few races there. 17, we won the championship in that TrendFab car. And that was the old Crawl America car at that point. And then 2018, we stepped up in that same car into 4,400. And just got your feet wet. You're playing with the big boys. And that's, in grand scheme of things, that's truly, that's three years ago. And so it's no surprise when people like, well, you know, Bailey qualifying, you know, qualifying second, you know, he's finishing fifth. He just had a fourth place finish at King of the Hammers. It felt like he came out, you know, people like, I've had people ask me like, well, man, he came out of nowhere. You know, how did he, you know, no, man, he's, he's paid his dues. He's in there, you know, grudging it out with everybody else. He's, he's earned, he's really earning every single spot that he's, that he's got. It's not like he hasn't, he really, truly has. So that's been really cool to see you move through that. But I want to touch on a, a long story. This is actually a very long story, probably. But you're a uh, you're a Baja 1000 champ. I am. Yeah. Yeah. How, that, uh, how cool is that? That was 2019. 
you guys racing, uh, you, your dad, there's a bunch of guys involved in that, but the savvy gladiator, you took it to Baja, yep. you raced seven full. Mm -hmm. Walk us and through how, how that, how did that come to be? How did that come to fruition that you guys were going to race that and how you were going to do it and who was driving and all that. And then some of the stories about that, cause that was a long race, man. That one was a really long event. Uh, it started when Dan, Dan fresh and my dad were driving all before this, all the races before. So the 500, the 250, And so they were racing up to that point. Dan fresh got a ride in a 6,100 truck in the thousand. And he had to take that opportunity because I mean, who, who passes up on a spec trophy truck? No one. And, and this, no. So my dad was the solo driver for the thousand in a seven F Jeep gladiator. And that, that math doesn't quite add up. So he let me have the opportunity of driving and, um, Doug also drove the first bit. So Doug drove, then I drove, and then my dad did the last stage, last section. What was your finish time? Like hours you guys took on that? It was a long one. Uh, I don't remember what the cutoff was. I think it was like 48 hours. And I think we finished in like 44. I was going to say, I thought it was way, way up there, but that said, uh, actually probably 20, uh, 29 hours, 30 hours. Yeah, it, it was, it was yeah definitely up there. I, I don't know if 40 was 40. Doesn't jive for me either though. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm with you there. It was, that was a little, but it was very, very long, but no, you guys ended up, First in seven up at seven up and you guys end up, uh, you know, champs of class. That's yeah, no, that was a crazy achievement. It was, it was awesome to be part of that team. That'll make you a man right there. That much time. Yeah. I mean, lack of sleep, lack of everything. So what great stories tell me at least one great story that came out of that adventure. Well, there's a few. Um, first one would be, we drove without steering for, seven of our eight hours in the car our tie rod bolt uh, the nut on the tie rod it came loose and it was hitting the bar above it so it was loose the entire time we were driving and did all of matomi wash all of diablo we hit i think 90 going across diablo with the steering a little loose but we just went through the pit and it was fine i think the nut was just starting to come loose there right when we were leaving the pit and then yeah, it came off not too far after that. And we just cruised in for six, seven hours without a nut on that bolt and hoping the steering didn't fall apart. Man, I saw the craziest picture from Baja this past weekend where the tie rod, the link from the tie rod somehow managed to on the rear axle some, on this. I think it was on a spec trophy truck as well. It inverted the link came loose from the axle. It flipped up. And when the car came down, the Heim the link and drove through tubing. It went through multiple pieces of tubing next to the gas tank, went straight up and pierced it and stuck inside. And then the car came back down and then it broke the, 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 this tie rod uh, link. It bent it in half in an L shape, but left it wedged where it ran through multiple pieces of look like inch and three quarter tubing, probably yeah. 188. Well, it was super impressive carnage. But you know, that's what happens when you've got that much weight, you know, basically a big old hammer driving down on a little nail, the nail was perfectly set up to run through the tube. So it went through the tube and 
I mean, hitting those whoops at 90 that they do. And it's a lot of force. A lot of force. The way I feel about telling that story and you telling that story is kind of the way I feel about like, uh, like Rob Usnick, who was on, you know, last season to him talking about his, his son, he, him racing Nora and his son winning Nora based on that and being able to share that with his son. So you and your dad being able to share this, this champion thing is, uh, well, it's pretty damn brag worthy. It was really cool. And then I believe right after that was the national championships race. And we were the first father son team, I believe to finish first in two different classes there. Oh yeah. Cause your dad raced that he raced, uh, 4,800 or stock. I can't remember which one he raced 4,500, 4,500. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then he did, he did very well. Yep. And then I was able to go out and that was my, that was 2019 again. And that was my second championship in legends. Now this year, like I said, we touched on it early on that you ran. God, I mean, fourth at KOH. Yep. Now, how did your race effort that day go? Clearly to end up fourth, you had to have had a, a clean, good day. But did you hit all your marks? Did your strategy work out? What were the the pitfalls, the failures that hampered you that day? So that was already a busy week up to that point because that was one of the times I partnered with another driver. And me and Cameron Steele actually partnered that whole week. So we raced Legends and UTV together. So it was a pretty busy week going into that. And his deal was... He- he was going to handle the, the desert loop and you were going to handle the rock loops, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I talked to him out at, uh, at laser town. Cause he was kind of, you know, headquartered out of laser town. And we talked multiple times throughout the week. Cause I was there out laser town every day, but man, he had nothing but the best of things to say about racing with you. He was very happy about how that was working out. Did that, that work out good for you? He is amazing to work with. He is just incredibly nice person to work with. And incredibly talented wants everything to be set up right and meticulous but in a good way like oh he's serious wants to hit all the points yeah it was it was professional which was really really cool to work with he didn't slam a beer and get in the car (laughs) no there was no (laughs) slamming beers and getting cars (laughs) no he was he was cool in the sense of how serious he was you know i would be out at laser town you know as the sun is coming up and he and I would be coming in together. I would get the gate for him or, or then the next day he'd get the gate for me as we were coming in there and uh, just having that kind of uh, in passing conversation. And I've, you know, really looked, you know, from years ago, Pab on, you know, you know, race desert and then, you know, just following the trackers and following racing and you get to know his name and then you see him on TV as an announcer, but it's another story when you kind of, you know, us guys from the East coast, show up at these West coast events. And these guys are just kind of walking around. So to be able to have conversations with him and he has a pretty badass Raptor, no getting around that. And, and actually Cody uh, Wagner, he has a pretty badass Raptor as well. Well, I'm there in this, you know, my pretty badass Chevy pre-runner and Cameron's like, man, that thing's, that thing's pretty sick, man. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I sent you an email about trail emissions. You should let me come sometime. He goes, yeah. And then away we went. That was how the day started. But I'm trying to bury that one in his ear, you know, because I want to come down and do that. But yeah, that was a cam. He meets a lot of people, right? A lot of people meet him. And just like you, Bailey, a lot of people meet you. And but it's when you kind of have that you have that commonality when you meet, you meet another guy and then you see like, oh, this guy's got a 
pretty sick truck and he's into the same shit i am wow we have this i'm gonna call it like unagi like all of a sudden it, it they also become cooler not because of what they have but because you know their mind wavelength works a lot like your mind wavelength you're into the same stuff that shared shared stuff in common yeah and and then tribal knowledge about that stuff yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that 100 that goes along with so racing for you though you know you've been involved in off-road your entire life and you know we all know who you know your father's dave cole but exclusively that racing has opened up some pretty cool doors for you and even just in the simple sense of meeting pab but meeting guys like robbie gordon yeah i've been really lucky and actually the first desert racer i was able to partner with was rob mccachran and literally the goat he's the goat yeah, he, he was insane and just a great person to work with too and we raced back in i think that was 2014 and yeah very pretty early on and we were racing a razor together out at hammers and neither one of us had finished hammers up to that point and that was we both he did the desert i did the rocks and we were able to finish and it was both of our first times finishing at hammers so that was pretty cool. No, I mean, let's talk. I don't want the magnitude of that lost on anyone because it's blowing my mind. You're 17 years old. You're splitting driving duties with Rob Mack. Yeah, that uh, that's still crazy to me. Uh, just the people I've met along this journey has been insane. And Well, let me put this a different way. It's 2040. It's 20 years from now. Rob Mack, he's uh, he's not in the old folks' home yet, he, but he's not racing anymore. He's he's putting around. He's got his pre-runner. He's still hit, hit, hitting his spots, you know, hanging out, uh, probably drinking beers. And he's like, Bailey Cole, man, did you see he just won, you know, the, the, the all-world national championship last year? I raced with him when he was 17 years old. Can you guys believe that? And the, all the other folks, the old folks somewhere are going to be like, you don't know that kid. You're like 60 years <laughs> older than him right <laughs> maybe yeah that's yeah yeah knock on wood knock on wood don't let yeah. me jinx you all right <laughs> you're pretty serious though from what i've been told when it comes to your race prep and doing your homework and i want to talk about you know this 2020 koh and how you how you pulled it off and your strategy we kind of got a little sideways talking about what you know teaming up with pab earlier in the week and and how that worked but let's talk about the 4400 race did it go the way you expected it to go for you yeah i think i still didn't really know exactly what i was getting into at the start of that hammers so i know early on into the race i felt like i wasn't pushing quite as hard as i should have been and picked it up throughout the day and we had a couple small hiccups here and there but hitting all of our points we stayed in contention all day we were top five all day long so i would say it was everything i hoped to achieve going out there the first time how much pre-running do you do out there considering you grew up so this is you almost are the you know somewhat of a randy slauson for the hammers it's like the back of your hand you know where the rocks you know where rocks have been hanging out of xyz trail for 20 years and not to go around it tight because you'll slash the tire there kind of yeah. have this i'm going to repeat again tribal knowledge of the hammers that plays in right oh definitely there's there's some corners that we go around and it's like 
I remember going off this in the samurai and there's a big hole on the other side of that. And yeah, definitely wheeling out there from when I was little definitely plays into it. It's kind of funny. So Cam was supposed to drive the first desert laps and I was driving the rock laps for all the other classes. And I didn't really get to pre-run the first lap much. And Cam had an issue at Cougar Buttes in the Legends race. And car was broken and done there. He ripped out the links, just came down on a rock wrong and had a failure. Uh, Dave Schneider, coming back to him, was racing modified. To DSI, yeah. DSI, yep. And he was not feeling well. He was a little sick and under the weather there. He had uh, some pneumonia going on and came into the first pit where I was going to hop back into the Legends car, but the Legends car was done. So I was just standing there and he was like, well, do you want to drive the car this first lap? And I was like, sure. And I got in for him, brought the car around. And that was actually my pre-run lap for the desert for that week. Oh, very cool. I mean, it's good having a relationship again, DSI relationships with DSI always end up paying off. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And he's, he's won, he's won a lot. I always, he's the turtle, the tortoise in the hair stories. He's the tortoise. (laughs) Oh yeah. He's the tortoise. He he knows what he's doing. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. I haven't talked about that guy in a while, but I did see him at the hammers and we did talk. uh, It was daytime and he did mention that he had been under the weather. Hell, he might've had COVID back then. I mean, it's possible. There's coming back from SEMA. I know me and my dad got sick and who knows what was going on back then. The, the Chinese flu, man, the, the, all the Chinese that came over for SEMA, right? They, they were there to <laughs> yeah. knock, knock off savvy bumpers and, uh, <laughs> and, that's, yeah. and, and there go all my sponsor dollars from any Chinese company. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. All goes out the window right about now. <laughs> so I, I do have some questions from for you around, and I've asked other guys this. So, but when we talk about uh, some of the some of the drama that is happened, certainly some of it happened at Moab. But I want to even take it back to Hammers. Uh, when we talk about like course markings and course width, how do you feel? Where do you weigh in on the course width, and is that something that? needs to be in a driver's book or do you believe it is something that each race that should come out during the driver's meeting about where the course is 50 feet wide or you need to stay in the two track or you need to stay in the bottom of the canyons or it's 150 each way you have some liberty in finding the fast line and that's on you basically like it is on Baja I think as an organization we've always I I always thought it was 50 feet to each side of the track I thought that was already in the rules it's not just found out recently as well that it wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that either. The way I look at it, I I can't really do anything that's deemed unreasonable or cheating. So I try to stick within the rules. I, I've definitely found corners that I can shave a corner here, off there, corner there, but all definitely with within reason. And, and along those lines, does Tom pretty much, you know, keep you in, in check on that is because he, he's running the show there on where you're going? We're definitely a team on that. So one of the biggest things I've learned and hammers this year was not a good showcase because I didn't get to pre-run quite as much as I wanted. But I like to literally walk every single course like uh, the Reno course. 
every year that we go out there, I walk it, uh, Tennessee this year, I walk it just to literally see every rock and know exactly where we're going. Oh, that's, that, that's pretty cool. Now to handicap, uh, KOH 21, you think it happens? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so too, but hey, I don't think anyone knows, but you know, catch you off guard there. See your take on it. Your face was like, uh, it better, you know, <laughs> do you believe there's a reluctance in drivers to throw the red card? I would think so. I mean, me personally, I, I think a lot of the racing is done out on the track and I'd like to think most of us all respect one another enough to not blatantly do something bad. And if they do call yourself out on it. So my perspective is if I beat you out on the track, I beat you out on the track. And if not, don't be that guy. I know some drivers have thrown red cards in the past, but yeah, I think they're few and far between. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not a current driver, so I I don't know if I have a, a, a legitimate take on it. I really think it kind of comes back to we all know each other. We all hang out in the pits and I feel like we all have that respect for one another. Like I don't want to get something over on Lauren or Jason or any of the drivers out there. And I don't think they want to get anything over on me. So just go out there and do what we do. Do you think the red cards uh, can be used or utilized? You know, you are calling out another driver, but uh, in part, uh, holding the organization accountable. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's been times where red cards have gotten a situation handled. Right. No, I, I, th- I think that's it. That, and that's where I was kind of going was, I, it feels like we really just don't, you don't see them very often. I know because of exactly that there's a respect, right? There's this, you don't want to be that guy. Right. Yeah, Cause, cause it's, if you, it's throw- kind of like the same as, uh, when I went into the water at Crandon, literally every single ultra four racer gave me a part or a fluid and got me back out on track the next day. We all want to beat each other at the best of our game and win under those circumstances, not cutting corners and not. Yeah. That's trying to, they'll, they'll give you the shirt off their back. If it means that they can beat you on course versus beat you in the pits. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's why we love what we love. That's why we love. That's why we hang out with who we hang out with them race against who we race against because of exactly that camaraderie. Yeah. And, and then those same guys in the very exact breath, they will hand you a life jacket or a buoy or throw you a lifeline <laughs> or 100% or, you know, you know, I mean, there's a shortage of water wings on Amazon already because Santa has been buying them to put in your stockings. I, I'm waiting for the giant unicorn to be strapped to the roof of the car. It, it'll, it'll probably happen. Yeah. <laughs> It, it will probably happen. They'll, you, you're going to go out there and, you know, there next to your uh, Ultra 4 tag chassis bracelet, there's going to be a water wing, you know, uh, wrapped around <laughs> oh, there, <yeah>. inflatable. <laughs> inflatable. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. H- hilarious, hilarious stuff, man. So I want to talk about team effort and the, your partners and your sponsors. And, you know, I, I know there's some guys that have a hand in your car. I want to talk about them because I I believe in supporting them. Also the guys that, you know, totally stripped your car down after Crandon in that two week period and totally flipped it back to Moab. I believe, you know, this is a platform that, uh, you know, I can afford you to you guys, uh, as drivers and as co-drivers and whatever, but, uh, uh, I'm going to just hand over the reins to you to talk about, 
your team and kind of your sponsors and how, and I mean this in sponsors in the sense that they are your partners. These guys are, you know, like Neil over at UConn and Tom Spider Tracks and what they mean to you and your abilities to put that car out on the field and out on the starting grid. And then, man, your team effort behind it, man. Bailey, I'm just going to hand it over to you. I know you've got a lot to say there. To start with, like Tom at Spider Tracks, even more than just helping us all of us out with building some amazing parts. I know we've sat down in the past a couple times and he's told me to just stay who you are and don't really change where you're going. If that makes sense, like don't change who you are to get to someplace, just stay true to who you are as a person and things will work out. So I've always kind of respected that from Tom and the level of, personality he brings into the sport like he walks around every race and takes pictures of all the cars and shakes hands with everybody and is just an amazing person to be around that he is and similar story with neil from yukon actually the year i was stepping into legends car from the spec cars he uh he sat down with me and was like okay i like you right now but you're not really doing a whole lot, the marketing side. And I think that has to step up in order to become more professional. And he's over the years helped me become a more well-rounded racer. Like it's not just always what you do out on the track. You also have to support those who support you. If that makes sense. No, that's so a, that's exactly spot on. Those two people have really helped me out. Not only as being an amazing part sponsor and partner in that way, but being a good, good people to be around as like mentors. You certainly picked two really good ones. I mean, uh, like I said, I've, I have nothing but great things to say about Thomas Spartrax. I don't know Neil at UConn, but uh, I do know what I've seen. They've always had logos on your car. And I know that from my experience with Tom, and Ross, I'm, I need to throw Ross in there too at Spartrax. <laughs> yeah, Ross. you got to throw Ross in there. What they've done is, you know, even with COVID, I mean, their ability to their provide customer service and co- provide support and provide just badass parts that work, you, you just can't go wrong with them. I, 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 like I said, I, I do believe that exactly support those that support you and and they are really good supporters. But your uh, your personal team, the guys that are helping field your car, the guys that are helping get your car uh, to the starting grid and help you get that car across the finish line. They've done some amazing things, certainly in the last month with that car. I mean, you're racing a Trent Fab BioFest car and what they've been able to do to make that thing get from one race and in short course trim after it, you know, and they didn't paint it yellow to be a yellow submarine. I hope it was not the yellow submarine, but uh, yeah, my entire team did an insane amount of work. I have Travis Brake, who used to help out Derek West a lot and has been in the industry for years and years. He's been my crew chief starting this year and he's done a ton to help. He makes sure that everything stays on track and has been phenomenal. One of the true reasons that keep making finishes at the races. I have uh, Chad and Derek and they're coming over and doing fabricating stuff and they've been helping they're building my dad's new centurion and just helping out. What's a centurion? So the centurion is the four door Bronco. Okay. 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 Yeah. Old, old. Four yeah, door yeah, Bronco. It's, okay. It's, it's, it's an F three fifty frame 
with a Bronco body on it. Yeah, I, know, I believe I do know what that looks like. It's like the Texas limo. Yes, one hundred percent. It is three miles long. So what? what well, oh, well, he probably doesn't want us talking about it. Can we talk about it? Um, maybe. Maybe I think is, so. Is is it just going to be like a street cruiser, or is he like truly Cajun and all that jazz? No, it's a full-on pre-runner. So uh, I, I think it's fine to talk about building. Yeah, the Centurion. And so Derek it used to work at Bomber and Chad used to work at UFO. So they are some amazing fabricators. And spoiler alert, they hoping in the future to build a car after they get done with the Centurion. But the Centurion is a four-door Bronco putting trophy truck trailing arms on it, solo front beam suspension and yeah going full full awesome pre-runner so compared to your dad's current bronco pre-runner is it very similar or is it leveled up and just longer i would say it's a pretty big upgrade okay yep wow i'm excited what what what, does he have a paint scheme for it yet is it not quite that far still in the building process, but it's going to be, it's going to have like air conditioning. It's going to be the ultimate desert limo four seats. It yeah. Coolers in between both seats, front and rear beer and ice cream. I like where this exactly. is going. I like uh-huh. where this is going. All right. I got to get, I got to get myself. I need to start texting your dad on a more regular basis. So I can reserve myself a seat. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's uh, Chad and Derek, and they definitely helped put the car back together. Chad was there the entire two weeks, and Derek actually drove out the new motor and new trans from California the week before Moab and helped install it and get it stabbed in. Well, I have some questions about that. So what do you do? We actually didn't talk about that. We talked about you, you, you going in underwater. We talked about the car taking a bath. I saw some amazingly hilarious videos of you extracting it. I think you taking your fire suit off. You're in your skivvies. I mean, like red underwear, your ass is in the air and you're riding the car out. And, uh, somebody's playing like, uh, like flute music. Like they'd overlaid it with like some TikTok music and it from the like Titanic the, music, I think with yeah. like a flute, but, yeah. it, but it wasn't like classical Titanic music. It was like, no. It was like Bad Titanic. It, it was terrible and I couldn't stop laughing. I bet I, I bet I watched it 13 times. So you recovered the car, you race it the next day. What? Yep. No problems. What, you know, I would think that were you able to kill so, it? So I, I didn't ask, did you kill the car or it kill itself? What happened? So I didn't think I killed the car. And then actually it's funny, Chad and Sean, who I was about to talk about, look back at the videos and they noticed I reached for the kill switch right as I hit the water and got the motor back to CBM not too long ago. And he said the internals of that motor were actually fine. So it managed to not drink water. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Like I'd be worried about like the like electrical connections and all that jazz. And so what do you guys do? Did you even, you know, change all the fluids and gave her a look over it fired up and you're good to go. Yep, we uh, use MoTeC and American Wire Harness, and all of them held up great. It stayed on the entire time while it was underwater. So that's actually how I was able to find it when I had to wade back out into the water and hook the chain to the car. Yeah, all the headlights were on. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Uh-huh. Wow. So so when they, when they tore down the car, what were they looking for 
before you went to Moab? We made the call because just to be safe to change the motor and trans. And yeah, CBM got us a new motor. Awesome working with Josh out there. Josh West, right? Josh West. Yeah. Josh West. Yep. And Chris at Maximum Transmission got us a transmission. It was actually an old spec car transmission that just rebuilt and sent out the door. Hey, that works. Whatever, whatever gets the job done. Yeah, man. Yep. And then, and then they banged it out though. I mean, to take a car that's one been underwater, strip it all the way to that level, rebuild everything, and then show up, you know, let's call it 10 days later in Utah is a freaking feat. Those guys are heroes, right? They walk on water. They don't sleep. Uh, 100%. Yeah. No, they are superhuman. My, wow. the crew is just fantastic. Couldn't do it without them. 100%. And now, you know, I talked to Josh, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past, Josh West over at CBM. We talked about like the, the value of like tuning in that's just motor tuning. I've talked to other guys like Phil Accardi, who you know, would have been on a recent talent tank where we talk about his, you know, tuning suspension. And then we talk about you and your time at school and your time to be able to actually put into tuning the car for stuff. How much time have you been able to dedicate and how much value do you put in tuning and getting it right? Like, are you a an 80% or an 85 or a 90 percenter, or are you like, no, I'm going to spend days and days and days to get every last ounce of tune out of it where I like the suspension, where I like it. Where are you at on that? Cause it's a, it's, it's a weight, right? You know, there's a returns to effort, you know? So I definitely lucked out and I know Wayne very well. We actually, he raised my you kind family of. and his, yeah, we spend every Christmas dinner together and working with him has been phenomenal because he is truly just the best. Then we have spent probably five, six days on just the IFS car and the Legends car. We spent probably more than that. I definitely think putting the effort in before the race is more important than what you do at the race because you can only do so much at the race. And that goes back to my philosophy that you win the race in the shop. 100%. Don't, don't get me wrong. During the race, absolutely a 60 cent seal in the transmission can take you out. Or, I mean, that's, those are freak accidents. They happen to everybody, but by and large, you know, I mean, everyone who has won King of the Hammers knows what it takes and it takes, you know, some luck, but it takes a lot of prep and it takes a lot of preparation. It takes a lot of homework. And then it takes hitting your marks and hitting your plan. And then the luck is other guys not hitting their marks. It's not, <laughs> it's not luck, luck. It's truly you're hoping that someone else messes up when you don't. Yeah, no, it's the racing's getting so competitive now. Like Moab, I felt like I was on a pretty solid pace the entire day. We had a sway bar go out, which cost us a few minutes, but we had to push all day and that course was brutal and you just have to do that now because the level of competition has gotten to a point where everybody's pushing the entire time. So you have to, how many tires did you kill at Moab? None, none. Oh, nice. Nice. Because it seemed yeah. like every single time I looked at the live feed, there was cars coming into that main pit with flat, with right side flats. It was like one yeah. after another, after another, it's just like, so yeah, you lucked out, man. Well done. That is one thing that I've been ingrained to do is not get flats because you're not winning races by sitting in the pits. So uh, that's one one part where I feel like I'm a pretty solid driver is just keeping the tires under the car and 
driving those to what their ability is. Like we didn't have a flat at Tennessee. We had a slow leak at hammers, but got us to the pits with it still inflated. And yeah. Hey, that's a solid win right there. If you can change it in the pits, that's five, five, seven, ten minutes ahead. That, and that's a that's a big place. I actually thought there was something loose up front, like in the steering or something, because it just kind of felt wallowy because it was just getting low on pressure. I think we pulled in the pits and it was at like 10 PSI still holding air. I think I just caught a rock rock wrong coming down resolution and caught but, it right there at the end. Ha. Yep. Well, man, as we kind of start to move towards the the wrap here, I want to talk to you about sponsorships and, and being young and kind of, we talked about you, what you've done and how many years you have racing has your ability to walk in the door and have sponsor conversations been uh, in your mind, easy or hard or difficult. And I know before, I think even before the camera started rolling and before we started recording, uh, you even mentioned that you're not a big public speaker. So I'm like, man, just treat this as just you and I having a conversation, but going in and asking and pitching yourself, because at this point, when you're talking to you, Connor, you're talking to Thomas Spiretrax and other people and other companies, as you have trying to get to the point where you are a professional race car driver and you're trying to make your program stand on its own two feet, right? You want to be cash flow positive and, you know, to where the race cars paid for the preps paid for. Uh, all your gas is paid. You want to get to that point, right? That's the ultimate goal. And you can earn a living doing it. You know, guys like what Lauren Healy's doing, you want to get to that point, right? I, yeah, I believe that's your ultimate a great place to be. Yeah. yeah. That's your, and when I look at Bailey Cole's big boy job, you know, once you graduate college is that you want to do this full time if it, if you can. So you've got to work on, you know, your public speaking, but I think you're really good at it. I, I mean, I know you have your doubts, but I think you're good at it. I think you step up to it. You've certainly had some good mentors and good good folks around you to help you there. But when you are having these uh, sponsor conversations, have they been very receptive to you? Or what has been kind of your hurdles in one talking to sponsors, but two getting them to you know loosen the purse strings? So I feel like the biggest lesson I've learned over the years is not going at sponsors at what they're going to give to me. It's more of what you can give to them because it's, it's a partnership. It's not, it's not a sponsorship. You have to both get something out of the relationship. You have to both get net positive. Right. Sage advice right there from such a young guy, 23 years old, sage advice. No, that's, I think exactly that you hit the, the nail on the head. And that is, and I've heard Brad Lovell describe this is it's their partnerships with guys in companies I want to be in business with for the long term. Nothing. I'm not worried about today or tomorrow or the next race. I'm worried about five races from now. I'm worried about 10 races from now. I'm worried about five years from now that these guys are still people that I still want to, that I'm comfortable putting their junk on my car and running their sticker on my car because I'm running the best parts that I feel I can put on there. And that's just from a part standpoint. Now, when you start carrying, you know, which your dad did an amazing job this year. This is really, in my opinion, uh, bringing in like progressive insurance. I've always felt like ultra four, what we've sucked at drivers, promoters, all of us at the whole off-road industry, we've sucked getting out of the industry. We've sucked attracting outside dollars and to see like you, you the ultra four organization bring in progressive 
you can say, yeah, well, they're automotive because they insure cars. No, they're not automotive. That is an insurance company and they are in the insurance <laughs> industry. And so if you can attract outside money and then say, well, they brought in Polaris. Well, Polaris is still sponsor, you know, the, or Can-Am and you know, whoever it is. Well, no, they're still in the truly automotive. They, they have a car that has a, a brand on it that is, can leave the start line. Then they're not. I mean, even Ford, yeah. Ford, as an example, Ford is, I kind of put Ford kind of in Jeep, you know, it, it kind of half in, half out, right? They're mm -hmm. automotive. They're not really racing, but their support means legitimization of everything. So yeah. I, I get that. So your experience has been with outside the industry. You've had very, a lot of luck inside the industry, outside the industry. Have you been in a situation to look for outside the industry money yet? I've looked a little bit, not not super hard yet, but definitely towards where I'm going. Good. Yes. Yeah. I think that's all we asked for. So as we kind of, yeah, that, I don't want to go too far deep into the sponsorship com conversation just because I know some things and I don't want to bait you too hard. Uh, that, that'd be really mean of me. You'd be like, <laughs> damn it, Wyatt. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so you've got about a year until you graduate. We've kind of talked about you know, the future after graduation, you know, this, and I'm using the term big boy job because that's what you put on your questionnaire was my big boy job, what it's going to be when I'm, I'm an adult and uh, where I'm finally adulting, which I think you're doing a good job now, but you put in something there that I was kind of uh, really surprised at and I shouldn't have been was uh, maybe branch out to other series. Elaborate on that for me. What, what, what's kind of going on in your head there? What, uh, what, what intrigues you? What interests you? What's piqued your curiosity? Nothing set in stone or anything, but had a ton of fun. I chased my dad at three of the races last year at the score races and raced the final one within the thousand. And it was a lot of fun and just a different style of racing. Yeah, it's just a different headspace that you have to go into and different preparation. Okay. So I think that's a fun aspect to go to. So if I could get into some more of either the desert side or really any kind of race in it. Helmet just, time, visor time you, is there's yeah. no replacement racing shopping carts down a hill. It's, it's all the same thing, right? We can set that up. I know some people, they can probably get us a, a time slot during hammers week and we can do it down back door shopping carts down back door. That <laughs> is a lot of commitment. <laughs> Literally. We're going to get uh, United healthcare to sponsor it insurance competition and we're going to call it the uh the copay downhill i i've got it I, i'm totally marketing i'm a genius i'll let you pitch that one to me. <laughs> my dad and i'll be outside of group oh no your dad would love it he he would absolutely be like i will definitely watch it you're not doing it during hammers week but i'll definitely be there to watch it any other time exactly yes <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so you've alluded to, you're, you're probably going to be having a new car built, you know, coming up in the, the near future. Pretty excited about that. I'm pretty excited about the couple guys that you're, that, you know, they're working on your dad's Centurion and that they're going to be looking at punching out a car for you. That's, that's pretty awesome. Which leads me to my question. What are your thoughts on the next big steps in ultra four, the ultra four takes, where do you think it goes? And it could be, this is, totally wherever you want to go with this. Is it tech? Is it on the cars? Is it uh, at the series? Is it tracks? Is it uh, sponsorship marketing? What do you think the next big thing is for Ultra 4? I personally think the next biggest thing is getting more sponsorship buy-in to the race teams. And 
all of the racers getting to a level of professionalism where we can sell ourselves to those bigger budget sponsors. And a lot of teams are doing it now. Like Levi Shirley's been fantastic at it. And obviously Lauren and there's a lot of names now that are getting to that professional level where we can really start selling ourselves as more than just friends going out and going really fast on the weekends and pushing that way. And I think that's the biggest step because I mean, last year I know through the first 30 miles of the desert race, 30 miles of the hammers race, Jason Shear was faster than the trophy trucks. And I feel like says something, doesn't it? it, Yeah. We have the speed and the technology now in the cars where we can push pretty hard for a long period of time. And I feel like the cars are at a place where we're finding seconds now instead of minutes. And I feel like the sponsorships coming up is where the next big step is. Okay. Yeah, that, that's absolutely fair. I remember Jeff Knoll, co-founder of uh, the Hammer Series with, uh, or at least Kane Hammers the race individually with your dad. We were in a chase truck, his truck. I, I don't remember what we were in, but I feel like we were in his truck. Him telling me about one of his goals was he wanted to get it the series to where you could walk into at the time Toys R Us was a thing, right? It wasn't out of business, but the, so let's just say target. We'll change the story. It was target or Walmart. You walk in the toy section and you could buy, you know, next to the GI Joe's would be ultra four driver little, uh, uh, toys. Like you could get, you could walk in and buy a Bailey Cole or you could buy a Jason Shear, or you could buy a, you know, a JT Taylor, you know, just be like a bald GI Joe guy. Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it looked like the same guy, but you, you, but yeah, that, that was where Jeff thought, you know, he, he thought that's where we could drive. The sport would be to the point where not only was it a common household name, but that there was toys. And I remember a guy named, you're going to have, you may have to help me. Todd Tonka Todd was what's Todd's last name. What, uh, he has an ultra four car. He has a, it was the IFS 4,400 car. And gosh, yeah, dang, it was, it's the bomber, the, it IFS is a, bomber. the IFS bomber car. Why am I drawn on? I'm, he lives in park city, Utah. Great guy. Really tall guy. Desert guy. But he had uh he had a Tonka toy as a class one that you could buy. <laughs> you could walk into Walmart and buy a white desert class one. That was so cool. And it was a uh, Romano Todd Romano. Yes. Why was there I drawing a blank on it? Yeah. That, uh, because I do that. You know, you can buy an ultra four car at, I think Walmart, right? The low C crawl, the, the crawler, right? The, the Cody uh, Wagner. Rocky. Oh, oh yeah. You can bribe Rocky. Wow. Uh-huh. See, and th- th- there you go. That's why having Von getting Von getting junior in the ultra four stable is, you know, he is a quintessential marketer that we, ha- we all have a lot to learn from that guy. Cody Wagner's car just came out in RC, mm-hmm. you know, it's $400 or something. I, I should have probably priced one out. I I've literally looked at it and been like, I don't want to know the price because then I want one because they're they're pretty they're pretty cool. And then uh, you we've had uh, Randy Slauson has had uh, RC bombers out for man like yeah, five years or six years years now, right? Yeah, for a long time. So no, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That that is cool. The the cars, of course, the cars are characters in our series. They absolutely are. They are in our family and our community. They are they are characters in you know. I mean, they have names like you know the Red Dragon the dragon slayer, things along those lines. But we haven't got to the point where we have little, uh, caricatures, you know, we haven't had what we need is, you know, we need a Bailey Cole bobblehead. See, 
do I get floaties with it or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's wearing water wings. No, and it's an inflatable unicorn donut. Like you're wearing yes. it around your waist, right? And then yep. you know, I think there's a there's like I said, there's there's a lot of JT jokes in there too. Like we'd have the JT bobblehead, but it's like the head is the same size. Like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going to kick my ass. Oh man. I love it. When, when I can't wait for that, him to be listening to this, he'll be in middle of BFE nowhere windshield time and it going somewhere to a race and he will call me and be like, I'm going to kill you. Uh-huh. I know where you live. Yeah. He's, he's pulled the knife on me a couple of times. It's- <laughs> well, Hey, did we cover everything you wanted to cover? Did we, did uh-huh. we make it through? I think we hit the punch list pretty, pretty hard. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. We went quite a while too, man. That's, that's awesome. Especially considering I don't really know you very well. Uh, we, uh, we really knocked it out, but as we go to sign off, I'm going to drop a bomb here. You have some really big news coming up in a few weeks, right? Yeah. There is some really exciting gears turning here. So as we speak, honestly, everything's changing on the daily, but some really big things planned for next year. And if I heard, it's like, it's like not one item, but it's like multiple items all for 2021. Yep. A lot of things coming down the pipeline here pretty soon. And so you think we'll know, what do you think? Two weeks, three weeks, pay attention. I I would say right around the time nationals is going on. We should have more word on what's coming out. Oh man. Those are some good carrots. I'm going to have to tune in, man. Bailey, you've been an amazing individual to watch as a a kid playing in the pits up through young adulthood, your driving, your prowess, how you have developed as a human, how you've developed as a racer, how you've developed as a uh, patron of Ultra Four and and something of a oh I don't know what the right word is a uh, just a spokesman for for the sport. Um, I I know a lot of us you know look at you and. Like, man, I remember when he was this young and now we're seeing you on podiums and just a very, um, just a great representative of, of the community. It's really cool to, uh, to see you carry that torch in the way that you've carried it. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the talent tank and, and agreeing and agreeing to talk to me and tell your story and, 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 and introduce a McKenzie and, uh, and, and all that, man, I really value your, uh, your buy-in to my program, man. I appreciate being here. Thank you. Thank you for telling all the stories of everybody in our sport and letting us all grow in that way. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Bailey Cole, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. We are out and bye. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into the Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at the Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.